Welcome to the Remote Work Drive podcast with your host, Jessica Malnick. Stay tuned to learn how to manage remote teams that are effective, collaborative, and happy. So I'm really excited today to be chatting with Matt. For those of you guys who don't know who you are, can you give a little introduction who you are, where you work for, and what your role is? Sure. So my name's Matt, Matt Patterson. I live down here in uh, Australia, just south of Sydney. And I have a customer service background, running a customer service team for about 10 years. But last five years or so, I've been at HelpScout, uh, where we sell customer service tools. But mostly my role there is to talk about customer service and how we can do it better. Online customer service, kind of to people in small, medium businesses, just about delivering better service and the different ways we can do that. Awesome. Um, and can you tell, what's the most exciting thing that you're working on right now? Oh, working on a bunch of different things, as I always am. Um, just recently put out a new article on quality assurance processes and how you can kind of deliver uh, you know, better quality and understanding what customer service quality even means. And in there, there's a little um, uh, rubric, a, a tool to help you build out your quality process. So that was quite cool. I'm also working on a hiring calculator at the same time. Uh, and on another thing that I'm working on, I'm just going to give you everything now. Another thing I'm working on is uh, the world's oldest complaint, this very ancient complaint. I've got a video that I'm working on about this uh, cuneiform 4,000-year-old complaint letter and what that says about customer service. That sounds really fascinating. Can you elaborate a little bit more on what that complaint is and what customer service professionals today can learn from that? Yeah, so this, this is from uh, the city of Ur, like a Mesopotamian city um, around 1750 BCE, I think. And there was this guy, his name uh, is Aenasir, who was a, a copper trader. Uh, when they dug up his house in the, the early 20th century, they found a whole bunch of clay tablets, which they were able to translate and which turned out to be mostly complaint letters about how he wasn't doing a great job as he's as a copper trader people writing quite long and angry letters to him about being ripped off getting poor quality copper from him uh, which is it's fascinating really to think <laughs> the this is the earliest very earliest forms of writing uh, and already customer service issues were coming up um, there's no indication that he did a real great job of actually following up or resolving any of those issues but uh, in my video I'm kind of imagining how he could have maybe resolved that. Uh, and I think it really does show that, yeah, as much as we are in a time of enormous change now, uh, especially doing online customer service, there is still just massive similarities to the way business has been done as long as people have been able to trade with each other. Absolutely. Shifting gears just a tiny bit when it comes to customer service teams and maybe some of the ones that have a very much an in-person culture and we're forced more into working remotely or hybrid teams. Like what are some of the biggest kind of mindset shifts that you've observed either with like the people that you work with? Well, obviously HopScout is fully remote, but like of maybe some of your customers, maybe some of you guys' customers, like what have been some of the biggest mindset shifts that you've seen across the customer service industry? Yeah, it's a, it's a very different thing. I think that's important to point out. It's a very different thing to have a company built to be remote than it is a company which has to be remote, especially suddenly. Uh, I think we've seen a lot of 
customer service teams struggle with that because all your systems and processes that are built for we are going to be together in the same place at the same time just suddenly don't work and you have to scramble around to, to sort that out. And a lot of people have been struggling with that, not just customer service. I think maybe the biggest challenge that people are going to find now is suddenly being hybrid companies where some people just aren't going to come back to the office or, uh, or they've hired people during this process who were never in the office and so who have come in with a different mindset. And so there's going to be a lot of challenges there. Uh, the big one, I think, is not falling back into the patterns of all the information exchange happening in one place and all the people who are not in that place being left out accidentally uh, or the power kind of balance shifting to the people who are in the office. There's a lot of risk that um, without intent, that decisions can be made that exclude people because they don't happen to be there at the right time. And I can tell you, as a person who is in Australia, most of my colleagues uh, are not. That can happen just by accident, just because people need to make a decision and they don't want to wait 12 hours to get information from someone else, which is understandable. Um, but if you want to make that work, you really need to be more thoughtful about how do I include those people? How do I get their opinions and give people enough time to be able to respond in a useful way? Uh, you have to come up with a whole bunch of systems for that. And you know, we've got a bunch of stuff uh, about that on our blog at HelpScout because we've been doing it for as long as HelpScout has been around. Um, and I can tell you coming from a company where I was in Australia and most of my team were not, but I was leading the team, that I made lots of dumb mistakes there too that I'm, <laughs> I'm always having to talk about. There's a lot to unpack there. Can you tell me a little bit more about some of the ways that you've been able to kind of collaborate really effectively, even when on such a global team, both in your current role and maybe if you want to talk about previous roles as well? Yeah. So I think I, I had less to do here at HelpScout because it was already fully remote. I was the second person, I think, in Australia, but the other person, Kelly's on the support team. And that customer service, in, this, in a way, it is easier to do because the kind of work you do is so uh, bite-sized uh, and everybody on the customer service team, for the most part, is doing a pretty similar job. So there's not as much need to transfer information in real time, you can talk about what's happening for the team and, and it's okay if that happens every, every couple of days. Uh, in other roles where you actively trying to get information and work on the same thing together at the same time, that is more challenging. Uh, luckily, my particular job as well is, is suited to having a lot of meetings in the morning and then I have the rest of the day where there's really nobody around. Like this time that we're recording right now is kind of after all of my meetings are done for the day and it is 10 past eight in the morning here. So that helps, like the type of work you do, understanding which bits need to be synchronous and which bits actually, it would be totally fine for it to be spread out over a longer period of time and for information to be shared uh, asynchronously. That's pretty important. If you are going to do that, obviously, you have to make sure you do put the information somewhere that it can be found, that it will be updated and maintained. And that when I, at 11 in the morning here, if I need to know something, there is nobody left that I can ask live. So it's much better for me if someone has put that document somewhere I can find it uh, and has left notes on it or has linked it to other project information so that I can go and answer my questions without having to wait for them. Uh, and this, they can do the same for me. So I, I love that. I think using good use of tools, we use, you know, uh, in my job, we use uh, Asana for project management of things. And I can see where all my content pieces are up to and what I need to do next and uh, we get into a good cycle of, you know, I write something and someone will review it overnight for me and then I will review their stuff 
during my daytime, which is overnight for them. And so we're able to keep things moving uh, it, probably even faster than we would be if we were all in the same time zone because everyone's trying to do their own job as well. And they can fit those jobs in at times that make sense to them. So that, that really works. Something that I did uh, at Campaign Monitor in my last job, as I said, I was in the office. I was running the support team, but most of the team were not there. We had a few in Sydney with me, but most of them were in Europe or in the US, North America. Uh, and just a small thing that we did, well, the team was much smaller, but we're just finding you know, the rest of the team is sort of forgetting that these people also work for us because they're not there every day. They're not having the shared lunch. We had our you know, in-house chef and everything, which is fantastic. But the people who are not in that room at lunchtime should sometimes get forgotten. So I got them to send me full-length photos and we printed out these life-size posters, like five and six foot tall stand-up things that could stand themselves. Uh, we just kind of put them all around the office because there was only probably you know seven or eight of them. Uh, and then we just had them in the office with us and you would just walk past and see, oh, yes, there's someone working for us who lives in Norway. You can't forget about him because he's the tallest person, which was great. It's a very small thing. It was pretty cheap, but it was really helpful way to remind everybody, like, don't forget about these people if you're exchanging information or if you're just doing something fun and you want to include other people too. Uh, also terrifying when someone sneaks one up behind you when you're in a meeting and you turn around and there's suddenly a, a giant person standing there. That's a really, really clever approach to ensure that you don't wind up with remote people feeling like second-class citizens on an otherwise in-person or a hybrid team. Can you maybe walk me through a little bit more about your decision process and maybe and maybe it helps out where you're talking kind of talking about when to go async versus when to have the synchronous communication? Yeah, yeah. So you, you need to understand the type of work, right? There is certain types of work where you, you're going to have to do it at the same time. And that's obviously difficult time zone wise, if we're as separated as we are here in Australia to, to the US. Um, I think for a lot of companies, that's not as big as a, of an issue. It's just understanding, you know, it, it would be better if we just booked two hours and we just worked on it at the same time on a video call for certain types of, of, uh, of work and some other types of work that's just super disruptive. And you're much better off just saying like, we will just connect at the end of the day and see what you need from me and what do I need from you? And we'll, we'll move on like that. So I think understanding the type of work that it is, just what we have at HelpScout is defaulting to asynchronous. Like if you don't have an explicit reason for it to need to be at the same time, just assume that someone's going to look at it later. And so you have to put all the context that is required into that piece of information, wherever it is, link it to wherever else it needs to link to so that when that person gets to it, which might be the same day or it might not be, they will be able to find it. It helps us and it helps Scout because there is no office anymore. Like we used to have small offices where some people would be, but even then, even uh, having Zoom meetings, everyone's on a different screen. So everyone's got their own audio and their own video. But even doing that, you know, we can't get everybody on at the same time here. So we're always, we always need to be thoughtful about who is not able to be synchronous with us. Even if this information is best shared synchronously, some people aren't going to be able to be there. So it still needs to be recorded and made available. And something I really appreciate about HelpScout is that, yeah, when there are team meetings that happen at two o'clock in the morning, my time, if I get up in the morning and, and start my day, that video recording is already there. Um, the slides are available to me as well. So I can see everything. I can get the full recording and I can have my response and share my response within 12 hours you know, of the, the meeting happening instead of it being posted a week and a half later when it's too late to make any difference to anyone. That's a really, really great point. And 
I know you've been working either on distributed teams or remotely for a really long time. And even during the pandemic, the pandemic remote working is very different than remote work prior to the pandemic. For people who are just, who are, you know, still getting used to that shift and have maybe getting used to like working asynchronously as the default, what are some of the best practices or skills that, you know, a remote worker could be cultivating to get better at that? Mm. Yeah, that's tricky. Like I try to think about myself because I was in the office for a long time before uh, and then I, I wasn't sure how I was going to do working remotely. It's turned out pretty well for me. And I, I am very fortunate in that I have this dedicated space here where my house is detached from this office. Uh, and so I can hear children shouting at me, but I don't have to hear them if I close the door. Uh, and they can come here, but I get warning time. So that definitely helps. Like having the space and being able to separate work from the rest of my life is super helpful. I realize that's not always possible for everybody. There's a lot of people that's it's a much more difficult thing to do. Um, but if you can, it's great. It's totally worth it. Um, helps get also office co-working stipends. So in times when we're not completely locked down, as we are currently here where I am, there's also uh, the opportunity to get out of the office and work somewhere else. And sometimes that can make a difference too, just having other humans to talk to who are adults and be able to do your work that way. I think being remote, is it, the challenge often is not realizing how much communication was happening before without you really thinking about it. So when you're in an office, it's easy to notice when somebody is a bit cranky or to notice when someone's looking really stressed and to be able to adjust your communication accordingly or to be able to say, maybe I won't raise that issue right now. Uh, and you don't get any of that when you're remote. So you have to over-communicate in other ways. You have to make up for that by sending through, you know, having a, a little chat in Slack or trying to read through the history of what's been happening in the last few hours when I haven't been paying attention, trying to get a sense of what's going on in the company, how people are feeling. Remote retreats that we do, not remote retreats, the opposite of remote retreats, where we all go to one place at the same time. Again, something we haven't been able to do for now, you know, 18 months, but having some in-person interaction is super helpful in understanding the remote re interactions later. So you interpret text differently if you know that person and you kind of understand the way they talk and the way they write and how those things interrelate. It's too easy, I think, to, to make a judgment based on some text with tone. You know, There is no tone. You're just kind of assuming it yourself. And if you don't know the person, you may make a completely the wrong choice as to what does that text mean, really? Uh, what's the underlying emotions behind it that I can't actually get out of the text? So that's very challenging. So I always encourage people to, if you can, to at least have some in-person contact to build that level of structural understanding of what's going on between us as two different people with two different brains that are trying to share information with a very limited channel of text often. Absolutely. That's a really great point. What are some of the ways that you build more camaraderie among like your core team, as well as this in the company as a whole, um, when you're 100% remote? Yeah. So retreats, obviously that really helps, but we haven't been able to do that. Um, so at HelpScout, we've had some virtual retreats where it's, you know, you don't have to work for this week and there's more kind of, uh, structured ways to interact with each other um, you know we're having having you know people watching movies together or playing some trivia games or doing some activities that sort of thing uh, which 
I think for certain people can really help, but for some people is not as effective, I would say, of course. Um, but that's the nature of the situation that we're in currently. Uh, finding other ways, yeah, HelpScout does Fikas, which is a fancy way of saying just randomly connecting people to have a Zoom chat about stuff that's not work-related. That can really help. Like In my job, I'm not going to talk to about half the company who are all the people who are not in customer service or marketing side of the business, basically, or the product marketing. So all of the engineering side of the business, I don't really need to interact with them for my job most of the time. So it's really nice when it, the donut you know, th randomly throws up for me, oh, you, you get to have a chat with this person here from the engineering side of the business, just to understand like what's going on over there and how are people feeling and what are you working on at the moment and where's the business heading from your perspective and just hearing different people's opinions. So that I find super helpful just building a little bit. And also I'm, I'm a very active uh, Slack putter inner of um, not work stuff, probably to the point where it annoys people, I would, I, I would guess, based on past experience. But just uh, putting in the social channels, throwing in like, here's a song that I liked or here's a funny video, uh, that sort of stuff, which is just reminding people like we're all, we've all got stuff going on in our lives, you know, seeing pictures of people's kids, um, all of that kind of stuff especially for me as a like geo remote person. There's a lot of conversations that I can't be a part of because they're happening at times when I'm not awake. Uh, and so just getting into those channels and, and putting in little bits of like, here is me and this is how I think about things in a more fun way and a less work-related way is a nice way to, when I eventually do meet people in person to feel like, oh, we have some background understanding of where we are. We're not starting from absolute scratch. So I find that helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And going back to what you were saying about virtual retreats, can you maybe describe a little bit more about like how long the virtual retreat was, what were some of the activities that were included in, in it, and what were kind of like the biggest benefits that you got from it? Yeah, so I think we have an entire article about this, which you can, I'm sure you can find and, and link to, but we've had kind of four day or five day long retreats. So the, the main part is that, you know, we're trying to shift as much work out of that week as possible. Not everything can stop, obviously, especially in the customer service world. Work still has to be done. But one thing we do do as part of that is the whole company support. So everybody's taking shifts, doing some support during that week so that our customer support staff can actually enjoy the retreat too. That's super helpful. Uh, then there'll be usually just a whole bunch of different activities that you can sign up for at different times. And some of them are just we're just going to have a chat. Some of them are people with shared interests getting together to do a thing. That might be, you know, we're going to talk about a book or we're going to watch a movie together or we're going to play a trivia game. Uh, there are some activities. There is some funding provided to like, you can go out and have a nice meal as part of this or take your partner out to a meal. Um, just trying to de-stress a little bit. Yeah, that sort of thing. Uh, the occasional uh, people having like a, a wine whatever you call them, one of those things where people talk about wine, obviously the, the one that I'm super into. Uh, that sort of stuff and, and some pretty open-ended time of just like, we're just encouraging people to talk to people they wouldn't usually connect with. Um, so it's, a lot of it really is about providing enough structures so that people who are not great at, let's just have a one-on-one -on -one chat, like that they might feel uncomfortable with that or feel like they have to carry the conversation a lot. If you add a little bit of structure, like, well, now there's a topic that we're supposed to be talking about. It's just much easier for people. So a lot of it is just that. Absolutely. Shifting gears just a little bit, like you've 
been in the customer service industry for a while. Um, what's something about just the industry as a whole that you think you know people should start or stop doing? Mm. That's a good question. I think there are, well, I mean, obviously in the world of customer service, one thing that people should do is value customer service. But I think that's that's pretty standard understanding of things. I think maybe if I was to talk to customer service people who are super into customer service and who think, you know, I do value this as a career and as a job and I work in a place maybe which already does value it, the next opportunity that we have for those people is to get better at communicating with the rest of the company um, to, you know, to understand like what is your actual job in customer service? It is answering questions, obviously, but it's also really about forming that bridge of like this, this customers have paid us money to do something, which might be to use our product, but it's probably not for the purposes of using the product. Like they're not coming because they're excited about the product. They're excited about doing something with the product. And the more that you can align yourself in customer service with my job is to help them get that thing that they were trying to get in the first place. So they're paying us money for our product because they want to, whatever it is, in the case of Help Scout, they want to produce, they want to deliver better customer service to their customers. And so my job is not just so that you understand how Help Scout works, but also how can I use Help Scout to deliver better service? Uh, and the further up that chain that you can go as a support person, the more you can be about getting them to that value, the more effective you'll be. And also the less likely you are to be replaced by a a bot, which can do the same, like I'm going to find the help article and share it back to you. Yeah, like that's useful work to be done, but that is the kind of thing that will be automated away. Whereas let me understand, what do you mean by good service in your company? And how can I help you understand how this product that we sell might actually help you in a different way than you were even asking about? But let, let's get you to that value. And so I think that's the opportunity for kind of career customer service people is to, to work on that. And sometimes that means those people are going to end up actually doing product design or product management or UI writing and lots of different areas people end up moving into, which relates to just understanding how, you, how you're getting that value to those customers. Yeah, that's a really, really great point. A couple of light, lightning round questions that I always like to ask. Um, if you were to win $10 million tomorrow, what would you spend it on? Ooh, is this US dollars? Because that, that's quite a bit more for Australians. Go for it. That's nice. Well, first, I'm going to pay my mortgage off. No, I don't have to worry about that. Um, I, don't I don't really need $10 million. So if I was just going to spend, I mean, probably I give away a bunch of it because it, I would, statistically, people who win lots of money don't end up happier. I think that's pretty clear. Uh, and they often can get themselves in big trouble. So there is that, but that's a boring answer. If I was just going to go crazy and spend it, mm, I don't know, maybe I would find some like uh, environmental repair company and, and let's, let's do something cool because I think that's a, well, obviously that's a real challenge in the world, but also it would be nice to show people that uh, it can be done kind of what um, what's his name from Atlassian, which is, you know, a massive company in Australia. Atlassian is an enormous tech company for Australia and he's hundreds of millions of dollars and he's basically getting on there and trolling <laughs> trolling the government into doing the right thing. And I think that's a good way to spend money. So maybe I'd uh, ride on his coattails a little bit, Mike Cannon-Brooks. Totally. And if you had to write a book tomorrow, what would you write it on? Well, not on HTML email, which is what I chose the first time. <laughs> that was very boring. 
I don't know. I mean, I think it would probably be, assuming I didn't care about how many people actually bought it, it would just be similar to what I was talking about before. Like I just got super into learning about Mesopotamia because of that stupid tablet, which I learned about. Uh, and so I think it would just be about whatever interesting thing that I was thinking about at that time, which currently I am still, I'm still on my Mesopotamia uh, learning experience. For example, I'm going to share this. You can cut this out if it makes no sense to anyone, but apparently if you were the king and you got an omen, this is in the, uh, in the late Assyrian empire, if you, there was a bad omen saying like, we think the king's going to die. It's no problem because all you have to do is step down temporarily, put some poor sucker in as the temporary king, kill them, and the king's dead, and then you can go back to being king again. It's a genius plan. So there you go. That is a genius plan. Where can people from my audience uh, find you online? Uh, everywhere, but uh, I would say most helpfully would be on the Help Scout blog. So helpscout.com slash blog. That's me, uh, a lot of it there. There's a whole customer service section of that, and that's what I am responsible for. If you want to talk to me directly, Find me on Twitter, probably the easiest, at Mr. Pato, M-R-P-A-T-T-O. Awesome. Well, it was really, really great chatting with you today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Remote Work Drive podcast. Please visit our site, theremoteworkdrive.com, to learn more about remote work trends and insights.